share some of the issues that I had. I fussed at the good Lord. You know, last time I was up here, I talked about uh, about how raising up a child as he should go and how I was raised up as the world. And when I got into church, how I was raised up in the church and the struggle I had between those two and the differences. And in that struggle, I, you know, I found out, you know, that we're supposed to forgive people or God won't forgive us. And I said, okay. And then <clears throat> later on, God brought this other deal. He says, love your enemies. I said, what? You mean I'm supposed to love my, my fellow Christians, but here I'm supposed to love my enemies too. I says, you know, you're going to have to show me how to do this. I have no idea how to love my enemies. No clue. I got too much baggage that I brought up from the world to be able to love my enemies in a way that you say I should. So you're going to have to teach me. So I dug into the word, and he's shown me a few things. But before we start, I want you to read Psalms 25, 4 and 5. It says, show me your ways, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth, and teach me, for you are God of my salvation. Oh, I... On you, I wait all day. So I sit around waiting quite a while for him to show me this. And this is my opening prayer, that God will show us his ways on how to love our enemy. In Jesus' name. And then John, John 15, 12. It says, and here is how to measure it. The greatest love is shown when people lay down their lives for their friends. You are my friend if you obey me. So how to measure or to know or understand or how to love our enemy is to lay down our lives for our enemy. I says, wow, that's pretty deep. If you would like to, to follow along, I'm going to go on to Matthew chapter 26. And, you know, understanding things, you know, a lot of people say, I think, I think there's a woman, Miss White, she said we should look at the cross every day. And also states that God is love. And so everything that God does is love and out of love. So if I'm going to understand what this love is, that how I'm supposed to love my enemy, I need to go and see how God loved his enemies. And he did that at the cross. So we start on Matthew 26, 21. you want to go follow along you can that's Matthew 26 and starting out it says now as they were eating he said assuredly I say to you one of you will betray me 
and then down to 25. I'm going to jump around a little bit. Down to verse 25, it says, Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said, You have said it. He didn't make a big deal out of it. I don't... <clears throat> this, this is something I had to learn from where I was at. Because how I was raised as a child, if somebody was going to do something... I would shout out, I said, hey, everybody, you know, we're having this meal here, and this <clears throat> Judas guy here is going to turn me in and have me crucified. What do you think about that? That would have been my response. But God says, Jesus says, no, that's not the response I want from you. He says, it's a fact, it's going to happen, but he didn't bring it up and make a big deal out of it in the front of the rest of the people there at that time. So that's interesting. Let's go on down to 37, Matthew 26, 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zezebeth, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. He knew what was coming. He wasn't feeling good about it. He wasn't looking forward to the ordeal that he knew he was going to go through. Thirty-six or thirty-eight. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He was in a time of great sorrow with what he's going to have to do. And he asked his fellow people to be with him during that time. So this is another thing that he asked us to do, is to bring in people with us to help us get through our sorrow and our suffering that we're going through. 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons. Yeah, I'll jump down to 39. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. He did that three times. Three times he asked that he wouldn't have to go through this. Three times he was saying, I don't want to do this. This gave me a little bit of a relief because it even says that even Jesus in showing love, he didn't really want to, he didn't want to go through this process of showing love to his enemies. It was a process that he didn't want to go through. The process of love is what he did. It was his works that he went through. It's the suffering that he went through. That was his love that he showed to his enemies. And it shows me that even though <clears throat> my Savior had some feelings of not wanting to do that. So that gave me a little comfort in saying, well, maybe I'm not as bad as I think I am because I have some feelings for not wanting to forgive some people and not wanting to be nice to some people. And those feelings... He overrode those feelings with his actions. 
that, that helped me out a lot. I'm going to mark this down because I want to lose my place. Go down to 50. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid his hands on Jesus and took him. And 51, and suddenly one of those who was <clears throat> with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. That would be my response. If I'm in a, if I have somebody that's coming and is wanting to take me away and I don't want to go, well, then I'm going to, I'm going to want to fight back. But before that, he says, my friend, why have you come? The person who turned him in, the person who was betrayed him, the traitor of Jesus, he called his friend. That's another lesson on showing love. He loved the person. He didn't like the action. He loved the person, but he didn't like the sin that the person was doing. That is another form of love that the world doesn't teach. And that's a lesson I had to learn. I mean, how can you call somebody a friend when they betrayed you? I would use other words that aren't appropriate to be <laughs> spoken here. That's, but, you know, <clears throat> I'm sure some of you are probably a little more finesse than I am in that area. 2653. Uh, or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Christ, out of his love, could have put a stop to this ordeal he was going to go through at the cross. He could have put a stop to it at any time. He had the power. He had the backing. He had the right and the justification to stop it. He had the ability to stop it, but he, he didn't. He didn't. Understanding that is probably more than I have time to go through right now to get into the depth of why he didn't do it. But there is reason behind everything that he has done. And the depth that it goes in understanding that is beyond my capability. I've gone a little farther, but I'm not going to get into that real deep right now. Let's jump down to 59. Now the chief priest... The elders and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. He stood there knowing that the accusations that they were putting forth toward him and were accusing him were false. He knew that. Go down to 63 to see what his response was. 63. But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under, the, under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the son of Christ. You know, 
All these accusations, he kept quiet. But then when he asked if he was the son of high Christ, the son of Christ, he was honest in saying, "You asked me a question." But he was he answered the question, but he was quiet about the accusations. That's that's something that I'm still contemplating, trying to understand. He's being accused, but he's not deny, he's not denying or accepting the accusations. He's not even acknowledging the accusations. When he was asked a question of who he was, he he acknowledged who he was, knowing what would happen if he did. He told the truth, knowing what would happen if he did. His acknowledgment said. It is as you see, nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand in the power and the coming of the clouds of, of heaven. And this really, in 65, this really upset the priest. He said, then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, he has spoken blaspheme. What further need do we have of a witness? Look now, you have heard his blaspheme. So when he told the truth, he was accused for being honest. He was condemned for being honest. Jump in now to 67. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands. I don't know about the rest of you, but if somebody spit on me, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep spitting back on them until I run out of spit. That's what I would have done. But he was telling me, no, they spit on you. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the hygiene fact. Just they hit me back. I was taught to stand up for myself and to fight back. Well, Christ is telling me here, don't. That's not how you love your neighbor. You, getting even is not a form of loving. Getting even is a form of continue, continuing the chaos and the harm. And jump down to Matthew 27, verse 2. And then they... Pound, uh, they bound him, and they led him away and delivered him to Pompous Pilate, the governor. They beat on him, they tied him up, and they <coughs> took him somewhere. And he hadn't even been fighting them at all. Why would they need to bound his hands? But they did it. He still didn't say anything about that either. Jump down to 12, still in Matthew 27, 12. And while he was being accused of the chief priests and the others, he answered nothing. There again, all these accusations. And how many times have we been accused, falsely accused and we have to jump up and defend ourselves and prove that we aren't guilty of what everybody's accusing us? No, I didn't do that. No, I'm not guilty of that. No, 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 you're wrong. 
don't accuse me of that. Christ didn't do that. He just kept quiet. He let them make the accusations. He didn't defend himself. And how many times have we been taught to defend ourselves, to stand up and fight, you know, don't let people walk on us. Jump down to um, 29. When they had twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail the king of the Jews. They were right about one thing. He was the king of the Jews, but they were mocking him. They're making fun of him. How many of us really like for somebody to mock us? I don't like people to mock me. And I want to say something to put a stop to it some way, somehow. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. And 30, then they spat on him. Here again, he got spat on again. And they took a reed and struck him on the head. They beat him with a stick. Still, he he stood there and took it, didn't defend himself. He didn't call down his legions of angels to defend him. He didn't draw out his sword to fight him off and put a stop to it. He didn't defend himself again. 35, then they crucified him and divided his garments, cast lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. During all this time, he didn't defend himself. And it said, he is love. So I ask you, what kind of love is it for a man to stand up there and go through this and not defend himself? And accept this abuse so that I, me, Harry Thomas, would have the right to stand before my God, my maker, and talk to him one-on-one. To have this man go through all this and have him call me his brother. What kind of love is that? We go back even before that. He was obedient to his father. His father asked him to do this. I can't, uh, for his enemy, because at that time I was his enemy. When he went through this, I was his enemy. So he did this for me to show me no matter how bad I treat him, no matter how many accusations I accuse him of. He is not going to retaliate with violence toward me. I can't, I can't imagine that kind of love. It's beyond my capability understanding. But if he had retaliated, then he would have been no different than me because he would have done evil to me. 
and he is a person who does not do evil. He does good. He edifies. He lifts up. So loving, he's, this has taught me that loving my enemy is not a matter of how I feel about being in the presence of my enemy and what he does to me. What this is teaches me is that how I react to my enemy. Do I act the same as what my enemy acts toward me? Or do I draw upon the strength of the Holy Spirit to not react to what he's doing to me and act in kind and show him respect and dignity and call him a friend instead of a, a no good whatever you want to call him? Now, I don't understand that kind of love. I still don't understand that kind of love. But God has shown me that to, to love my enemy is not a matter of how I feel about him, but it is a matter how I react to him. And how many times do we react in kind to the people in our church and in our families, much less our enemies. Let's go to John, book of John, verse, uh, chapter 17. And I want to read this. This is out of the um, NIV. I'm going to read this. And now I am, uh, this is uh, John 17, verse 13, starting at 13. And now I'm coming to you. I have told them many things while I was with them so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your words, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not. This is Christ speaking. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Guess who he's talking to? He's talking to the Father. But to keep them safe from the evil one, they are not part of this world any more than I am. Make them pure and holy by teaching them your words of truth. As you send me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself entirely to you so that they might be entirely yours. Did you catch that? It, took, it, it really took me by surprise. He says, as you sent me into the world, as Christ was sent into the world by the Father, and we see how he was acted how he was treated by the world. I am sending you into the world, and I give myself entirely to you so they may be entirely yours. That's pretty heavy when you think about it. He just talked about what Christ went through in the world and what his Father sent him in the world to do. And Christ is sending us to do what? Sending us into the world the same way as his father sent him into the world. That's pretty, pretty heavy. 
Go on to uh, verse 20. It says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. My prayer for all of them is that they will be one just as you and I are one, Father. That just as you are in me, I am in you, so that they will be in us, and the world will believe you sent me. Wow. I think we should all ask the good Lord to answer Christ's prayer that we will be one with Christ as Christ is one with God. I want to jump back now to John 14. The truth is anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Because I am going to the Father, you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Because the works of the Son bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask anything in my name. And he doesn't leave us bare. He says to ask, and go down, down to uh, verse uh, 27 in there, it says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. He's given us the ability to go through these triumphs and to be accused and to be mistreated and to be abused and still have peace in our hearts. There's several people in, in the Bible that, well, if you look at all the disciples, how many of the disciples really made it to old age? Something to think about. How many, and we're supposed to be disciples. Something to think about. Let's go down to, back up again to uh, chapter 15. John 15, let's start at 12 here, it says, I command you to love each other in the same way that I love you. When we were, been, when we were mistreating him and we were his enemies, he showed love to us. And here is how to measure it. The greatest love is shown when people lay down their lives for their friends, you are my friend if you obey me. I'm going to jump down to 16 then. You, don't, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. I command you to love each other. Out of all the scriptures after looking at all this and looking at the cross, out of all this, I find no place in there where he doesn't say to do what he did. To love one another and not to forget 
our enemies. If we love our enemies, look, look at Saul. Saul was an enemy of God's people. God showed love to Saul, and then all of a sudden he changed his name to Paul. And how many of these writings have you received a blessing from the writings of a person who used to be an enemy of God? So how many of our enemies that are out there that are abusing us, how many of them, because of us being like God and not returning the same actions to them that they're giving us and by us not defending ourselves and acting like Christ did at the cross, how many of those enemies might end up being like Paul and bringing peace and salvation to how many souls? So in loving our enemies, we are furthering the cause of God by giving people an opportunity to see what true love is. And once they see it, there's, there's a lot of stories about a lot of people who have been mistreated. <clears throat> and as a result of somebody not treating them the way they did. Their heart was touched and they become like the person that they were mistreating. They become somebody who did not respond in like manner back to them. And they ended up having peace in their hearts that the world doesn't know and mistreating somebody does not bring peace in a person's heart. Being kind and loving is the only thing that will bring peace in your heart and fill that emptiness that is in any of us that haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans, I want to end up with this, Romans 12, 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. The way that states is almost our responsibility. God has given us a responsibility to make disciples. And if we're not a disciple, we can't make disciples. And if we're not following Jesus Christ, we're not a following the works that Jesus did and doing the works that Jesus did and acting like Jesus did, then we're not his disciple. And the world will know us by the love that we show to each other and by the love that we show to our enemies. And if we aren't doing that, then are we part of God's are we doing, you know, God says, if you obey me, you're one of mine. And he says, we're to love God, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And he showed us how to love not only our neighbors, but our enemies. And 
how we love our how we love our neighbors and how we love our enemies. It's not about feelings. It's about how we respond to their actions. It's about our response, not our feelings. With that, we'll have a closing prayer. Our closing song. Tis love that makes us happy. 579. Please stand. gracious heavenly father i ask that you send your love and fill us with your love fill us with the holy spirit give us the the power to be humble give us the strength and courage to be loving like your son and like you so that honor and glory can be given to you send us home with love in our hearts so much love that it pours out on everybody we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen.